Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Matty Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Consequence Uncut, a series that gives listeners and readers a deeper dive into our features with major artists. For our second episode, we were so excited to chat with Bethany Cosentino of Best Coast about her debut solo album, Natural Disaster. Instead of sort of being like doom and gloom about it, I was kind of like, how could I sort of write about this horrific experience of climate change, police brutality, women's rights being taken from them, just the horror show of America. How can I make sense of this and reckon with it? So Paolo, we're back. How are you? I'm doing great. Excited about this interview. I'm glad it's getting out in the world. (laughs) Are there any other writers that write for Consequence or is it just you? Oh, there are several, several writers. We have a few (laughs) full-time staff members that do even more than me. Uh, Mary and Joan are, are, are the rock stars of our feature team. Uh, so it's great to be able to work alongside them. Exactly, exactly. Well, I am Mijan Zulu, the lead producer of Consequence Podcast. I am Paolo Ragusa. I'm an associate editor at Consequence. And we're here with Consequence Uncut to talk about this wonderful interview. I had so much fun listening to it. Bethany is like such a such a joy. And I I love that she really, really tackled like so much of what we went through during 2020, climate change, police brutality, women's rights. Like this album really is like what I needed during 2020. But you know, it's coming out a little after. Yeah, I think that that's like the gestation period for a lot of these artists. You know, that was a really turbulent kind of crazy time. But at the same time, everything really stopped. So I think a lot of people just like really hunkered down and started writing some music about how fucked up everything is. And this album came out of that. And I'm glad that it's kind of taken a few years for it to uh, gestate and sort of come together. And it's just this great kind of first like rebirth for her as a solo artist. Yeah, I, I, I feel like there's something so courageous and profound about being like a successful artist and then doing something new. And I love that for her, like for her first, you know, solo album, she really channeled 
all of her greatest inspirations, like Sheryl Crow, Bonnie Raitt, like the Indigo Girls. Like, I don't know, like these are all of my favorite spirit animals. So like (laughs) listening to the album, like I'm, I'm so excited to hear those influences. Definitely. It was really funny when we started talking, I immediately, I had been listening to the album a bunch before the interview and of course, I see the first thing I see when she turns her camera on is this big poster of Sheryl Crow in the background. So I was like, <laughs> okay, I was getting so much Sheryl Crow from the album. And then I see it right behind her. And I'm like, oh, okay. She she loves Sheryl Crow. Like this is this is a Sheryl Crow influenced <laughs> album. But like in reality, too, like I love that she said about how this album was the combination of the easiest thing she's ever done and like the hardest and most terrifying thing. And I think yeah, you get yeah. a little bit of that like breezy, really just kind of warmth and the just the warm sounds of this album. They feel pretty easy and very California. But at the same time, the subject matter is really intense and it's really complicated. And, and there's a lot of sort of strife kind of happening all around her in this natural disaster album. Yeah, no. And I, I also really appreciated that you brought a lot of your like personal experience coming from California because it does really have that like California, I don't know, like way of being in the album. And it's like, it's really, really funny because like, obviously she's from best coast, but like it, like California is like so central to, I guess the ethos of this album. Yeah, definitely. And it was cool, like, because, you know, it's really interesting the way that like these music scenes change and, that was something that I was really curious to hear from her about as like somebody who was a really big part of certainly when I was growing up, the kind of LA indie music scene. She was like a huge headliner of that scene to me. And the venues that she came up playing, like the smell, I was so glad that she kind of brought <laughs> the those smell. up. <laughs> the smell. It's a very, very famous, like not DIY necessarily, but it's a very famous indie LA venue. And yeah, you know, a lot of these big LA artists that have come up in the last 10 years out of the indie scene have a lot of relationships to that space. And there's also a lot of complicated like things that have happened in that scene. And so Mm. I was really curious to hear her perspective, especially as she's kind of coming into this newer era of being an artist and playing live and going to shows. And um, she also, the last thing I'll say, she talked about seeing Blink-182 live um, (laughs) and how much fun that was for her and how she like, was asking your manager and like <laughs> well i want to ask my manager to get me tickets to all the best yeah shows. yeah <laughs> oh my god me too i want to see blink 182 at bank of california stadium <laughs> yeah exactly well i mean are, are you going to be sitting down in all of your future concerts oh uh, i don't think so <laughs> i don't think so i have a few i have a few more years before i start sitting down yeah well we will not be sitting down during this interview because it's a banger and we really hope that you enjoy it Absolutely. You can check out the full article on consequence.net. There is a link in the show notes. Please subscribe to the podcast feed to stay up to date with these in-depth interviews. And right now, we'll turn it over to Bethany and Paolo. Please enjoy. I'm so excited for your new album to come out, Natural Disaster. I got to spend some time with it over the last week, and it's amazing. It's this wonderful reintroduction to you and your voice and your songwriting. So we're a little under a month away from the album's release. We've got a little bit of time before it gets out into the world. A couple singles have come out so far. So just tell me first and foremost, how is it feeling? Are you excited? Are you getting a little nervous? What's going through your mind right now? Well, first of all, thank you. I'm glad you like it. 
I I think honestly I'm like in denial or something. Like I know it's coming and I'm doing all this press and I'm doing all this stuff around it. I'm practicing the songs, like everything. And I still am like, oh yeah, I guess this is coming out, huh? But I, it might be like less denial and more just like acceptance. And I think I'm used to being very anxious about album rollouts. And I think because this is just a brand new thing, it's like, cool. Okay, this is happening. <laughs> Amazing. In the words of your first single, it's fine. Right? Exactly. I think I set up the campaign unknowingly. I set it up for myself to, to be a very Zen experience. That's good. I love that. And it really does kind of mirror a lot of the content of these songs. First, I would love to hear about the album's opening song, Natural Disaster, and why that sort of ended up revealing itself to be the album title. Also, I do want to note, I'm a, also from Los Angeles originally. I live in New York now, but I've always associated your music with Los Angeles and LA. And I think hearing that first song and just hearing it's the hottest summer ever and there's it's on fire, I kind of was just picturing that incredible, horrible wildfire <laughs> smoke in the air yeah. like three years ago. Yeah. That's actually like one of the only songs on the album that I did top line to. So like the track was sent to me by this incredible producer, Susie Shin, who I absolutely adore. The second I heard it, I was like, wait, I am so inspired to go write something over this. And I took it into this very desk that I'm sitting at and I just played it. And I was starting to think about sort of the feeling of what it felt like in 20, the summer of 2020, like living in Los Angeles, living through the chaos of COVID, the chaos of like, you know, protests about racial inequality. And, you know, just, it was like that summer, I feel like to me was just, what the fuck is going on? Like it was just, it felt like everything was falling apart. And I, instead of sort of being like, doom and gloom about it, I was kind of like, how could I sort of write about this horrific experience of climate change, police brutality, women's rights being taken from them, just the horror show of America? How can I make sense of this and reckon with this? And so I just sort of sat and and wrote this song about kind of trying to uh, touch on the energy of what it felt like to live through that period. And also kind of as like a cry to like, you guys, things are, things are bad. We should probably wake up and pay attention. And as far as the title, it just felt like when I was starting to figure out like, okay, what am I going to call this record? Natural disaster just felt like the appropriate title, both because of the state of the world. And it is, I do think there's, there's a lot of references to fire on the record and a lot of talk about heat. Um, and it really is kind of like a commentary on the way that the world is changing, particularly climate, and also just sort of experiencing my own kind of, uh, you know, what, not to sound dramatic, but kind of my own disaster of like realizing that I had kind of outgrown this thing that I'd been doing for a very long time and feeling like I needed to go like rebuild and be born again. So that's a very long answer, but there you go. <laughs> Beautiful. Perfectly put. And I believe there's a poster behind you that is Cheryl Crow. Is Am I correct? There it is. I was going to say, I'm detecting lots of Cheryl Crow on this album. It feels like her 
whole songwriting style and a lot of those kind of evocative songs feel very in her sort of, yeah, the church of Sheryl Crow. So I would love to hear a little bit about, yeah, if, if that kind of made its way into the songwriting process and maybe some other influences while you were writing some songs that were maybe ringing around your head as you were working on this record. Yes, you are correct to hear a lot of Sheryl Crow influence. I've always been such a massive fan of hers, like from when I was very young. And I've just always really respected her as both a musician, a songwriter, just a human. I hate saying the word badass because it just feels so corny. But it's like I, if you looked up badass in the dictionary, I feel like Sheryl Crow's photo is right there. And so it was really just like, I really wanted to make a record that felt like it was influenced by all of the stuff that I grew up on, all of the things that I've always loved, and really the things that I've always listened to that never were able to make their way into like a Best Coast record. So I was really influenced by like the Indigo Girls. I was influenced by Bonnie Raitt. I was influenced by Lucinda Williams. I was really influenced by 90s like country, Jody Messina, The Chicks, stuff that like I both heard around my house as a kid because my my dad's a musician and my mom was just a massive music fan. And then also like, I'm the biggest Linda Ronstadt fan in the world. I literally have her name tattooed in a heart on my shoulder. And I just was like, I wanna make a record that feels like it's all of these things kind of blended together. And for the first time, I really feel like the influences that I'm saying are showing up in the recordings. Cause a lot of Best Coast stuff, it'd be like, yeah, Fleetwood Mac inspired this one. And people would be like, I don't hear it. And it'd be like, yeah, it's kind of more like an energetic influence. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely think you can feel it. It's a little, it's a little more apparent, certainly on this record. It feels like there are aspects of this album that are really throwing you out of your comfort zone. And, you know, technically this is your first solo album. So would you say it was easier or more difficult to sort of get out of that maybe normal headspace that you were in writing a lot of those Best Coast songs years ago? It was kind of a combination of the easiest thing I've ever done in my life and the fucking hardest, most terrifying thing I've ever done in my life. And I sort of just tried to allow the two things to coexist and not try to like stomp on one and be like, you know, because I think that is something that I feel like I struggle with this sort of black and white thinking of like, it's got to be either this thing or this thing, and it can never be both. Mm -hmm. And I'm sort of starting to learn that like, to be confident, you also have to have a nagging voice in your brain. That's like, mm, you might be doing this thing wrong, because that's the that's the voice that challenges you to keep doing what you're doing to keep moving forward. And I think that the whole point of this record was I wanted to make something that A, nobody would expect, B, that I wouldn't expect, and C, that nobody could categorize as like Best Coast. Because I feel like over the years with Best Coast, I was really evolving as a woman, as a person, as a musician. Bob, my partner, like we were always talking about how we wanted to change things up. And it just always felt like it kept getting pulled back into the same box. And I think I had this realization where I was like, okay, you are being pigeonholed by, you know, the public, but you're also pigeonholing yourself. And I think that early COVID days where, where I couldn't do anything. So I was just at home all the time. And I was like, huh, maybe I'll make a solo record and just throw shit at the wall and see what sticks and evolve the sound over time. And you know, I think where I landed is the exact kind of record I've always wanted to make, but never really felt capable of doing and really never felt confident enough to do. 
Speaking of confidence, uh, one thing I really noticed is that vocally, this is certainly one of the more challenging, remarkable vocal albums from you that I've ever heard. Do you feel like that's true? Do you feel like it's particularly challenging on your vocals? And uh, yeah, how do you feel like you've transformed over the last 15 years as a singer? Well, thank you. I think that that I did kind of go into this saying, like, I want this to be like my singer record. I want to like show, you know, I want to show off that I have a wide range and I can sing in different styles. And I think when Best Coast first started, I was, you know, the first record is like my vocals are absolutely drenched in distortion and reverb. And it was it was a style, but it was also I did that because I was so insecure about singing. And there was also this side of me that felt like to exist in indie rock, you couldn't be a good singer. Like I was like, oh, you kind of have to have like a thing. Your voice has to has to like, you know, you can't necessarily be bad, but you can't be too good. And you kind of have to like live somewhere in the gray. And so I think with each Best Coast record, I would get a little bit more confident with showing my voice, but I was always kind of holding back. And I think with this particularly because the songwriting is very different. I was able to just like do whatever the fuck I wanted and challenge myself really hard there. I mean, there are certain songs on this record that when I think about having to sing them live, I'm like, whoo, that's going to require a lot of warmups and training, but I'm up for the challenge. You know, I took opera lessons as a kid, like singing has always been like my main instrument I consider myself a singer-songwriter more than I consider myself a guitar player or more than I consider myself even like a, you know, a rock musician. I'm like, no, I'm just, I love writing songs and I love to fucking sing. I do love that you bring up certainly 10, 12, 13 years ago, like (laughs) indie rock. It's like, especially yeah, women in indie rock were certainly pigeonholed, but yeah, you weren't allowed to be too good. Like, I think that that's such an interesting observation that, you know, now when I look at a lot of these indie rock bands, a lot of these newer singer-songwriters, I think it's become honestly a requirement that you have to be a better singer. (laughs) (laughs) I also think it's like, obviously with age, I think people grow up and they become a little bit more comfortable in their own skin. And so I, I would chalk it up to that as well. It's like, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties now. I don't care anymore about most things. Like I go to the grocery store in pajamas and my hair like in a bun up here. And I'm just like, I don't care. It's freeing to not to truly just not care anymore. Absolutely. <laughs> that kind of brings me to my next question, which is in some of the uh, the sort of complex feelings that you really dig into on this album. Obviously, there's there's a lot about trauma and mental health. But I think the things that really stuck out to me were some of these more existential sort mm-hmm. of boundaries of the futility of remaining hopeful. And, you know, while you're feeling trapped, is it worth trying to get yourself out of that? And then I feel like every time you sort of come out on the other side with a little bit more wisdom and a little bit more brightness. And I just think that that's so remarkable. I love that line also uh, in uh, a single day. Is it a sign of the times or just a symptom of being alive? I feel like that really sums up the album. And would you say that that kind of (laughs) has a little bit of that assurance that you needed? This record, I think sort of like my thesis statement of this record would really be like learning to navigate, learning to survive tragedy in the everyday. Because I think that something that I really realized, and I was talking to somebody else in an interview yesterday where I was like, you know, it, it sounds very like privileged and it is a very privileged thing to say, but I think that 
when you're a musician and you spend the majority of your life on the road, it's like, it's, you can get detached from reality really quickly, you know, because being on tour is like being at summer camp. And it's just like, you know, you try to pay attention to the news and what's going on in the world, but you kind of exist in this bubble. And I think that when COVID happened and I literally was like wiping packages down on my front porch being like, is everybody I know going to die? Are we all going to die? Is the world ending? Like people are being killed by police officers in the street and people are lighting cars on fire in Los Angeles at protests. Like I was just like, this is, this is the part in the horror movie where the world ends. And I sort of just realized that I was like, I don't think I've ever really like been face to face with my own mortality. I don't think I've ever really like thought about the world in this way where it's like everything I know, every human I know is going to be gone someday. And it wasn't like it, that wasn't like a feeling of like, holy shit, I can't like, it was more just like, a light bulb went off where I was like, oh, th this is why they say like live, live every day as though it's the last, right? And so I think that this record was sort of my exploration of the world around me is changing so quickly and so many terrible things are happening. How do I make it through? Because it really feels like this is just continuing to happen. You know, it's like there doesn't yeah. feel like there's a relief. And we have to like continue to move on and follow the things that we love while also staying, you know, aware of what's going on and fighting against these horrible things that are happening. And so it really was just kind of like my answer to that was just like being vulnerable and allowing myself to open up to, you know, things like walking down the street and seeing a flower and being like, that's a beautiful flower. I've never even like thought to look at a flower like that before, you know, <laughs> like I had the awakening of like a Buddhist monk of like life is suffering, but also like life is suffering, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That reminds me of like, I feel like when I was in my early twenties, I used to look around in the world at the world and be like, and marvel at everything. So just so much more actively. And then now that I'm like in my late twenties, I'm like, I find it hard to find the same kind of joy and wonder in the world. And I feel like you need those kind of experiences where you kind of learn to fall in love with the world again, you know? Absolutely. And it's hard to try to fall in love with the world when the world feels like an absolute fucking shit show <laughs> and horrible things are happening yeah. all the time, you know? And I think when I was in my early 20s, I was just so... I was the opposite where I was like, those are the years that I feel like you should be kind of like who cares? Like, like party. And I was like, so just filled with like, that's when I feel like I had the most existential dread. And I look back and I'm like, you were 22. What the fuck did you have to worry about? Like, everything was great. You were at the top of your career. You were traveling the world. Like things were going very well for you. And I look back and I'm like, I have a lot of empathy for that version of myself though, because mm -hmm. I understand that it's like, if there, if you don't have any I think also this record touches on like spirituality in a way that I never would have even fucked with with Best Coast. But I do consider yeah. myself a spiritual person in the sense that I do believe that there is something greater than us. I don't know what it is, but something greater than us sort of guiding us through. And, you know, I I have to sort of lean on that in times of, again, the world is ending. <laughs> I love that. So perfectly put. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, 
Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. One of my favorite songs on this album, might be my favorite song, is In My Own City. I just love that chorus melody that you came up with so much. Just tell me about that song in particular, what it means and how it came together. So that song, I just sort of started strumming along on my guitar and the opening lyrics, if I'm dead, then why do I feel alive? You know, And and that was sort of this feeling that I kept having because I knew that I was sort of putting Best Coast and the identity of Bethany from Best Coast in a box and on the shelf. And I didn't really know what was going to happen. I knew I was going to make a record, but I was like, I don't know when the fuck this is going to come out or who's going to produce it or what's going to happen. And so a side of me really felt like I was like dying in a way. My identity was so tethered to Best Coast and it was just like I needed to get out. And the second that I started to feel like I was getting out, I started to like awaken and feel alive. And I, I was feeling like really guilty about that. Like I was like, how, how can I like kill off this side of myself and then create this new side of myself? Like how, why am I doing that? And then I started to sort of realize that it's just like, hey, you don't have to kill the other side. You can just sort of like put the other side on the back burner and go be this other person and explore that and see what happens. And so I I have these two really amazing friends, Morgan Nagler and Kate York. Morgan lives in LA and Kate lives in Nashville. And I just hit both of them up and I was like, hey, I have this idea for a song that I started. I need kind of, I need help sort of reorganizing it. Can we get together? And Kate was actually staying at Jenny Lewis's house at the time. So I drove over to Jenny Lewis's house and finished the song with them at Jenny Lewis's house, which was a very exciting thing for me because I'm a massive Rilo Kylie and Jenny Lewis fan. So that's kind of my favorite like story about that song is it it became a full-fledged song in the backyard of Jenny Lewis's house. I don't even think Jenny knows that. So she'll learn oh. it. Oh, oh she yeah. <laughs> she she was out of she was in Nashville at the time. So she'll learn it when this wow, comes they out. Places. How nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that. That also is such an LA that feels like such an LA story. <laughs> right. I, I love know. it. And also Uh-oh. it was like uh the, the chorus, you know, the like in my own city, taking the back roads in my own city was kind of like, you know, alluding to the thing that like L.A. has always been such a part of my personality and that this was kind of like, yeah, but now I'm like driving in a different way. Like I'm not taking the freeways anymore. I'm taking the back roads and I'm going to go explore. Yeah, exactly. So, yes. So I think it was kind of it's a little like tongue in cheek also of like. <laughs> But this is a new version of L.A. <laughs> I love it. It's the Waze version. Exactly. Um. Exactly. 
<laughs> Which funny, everybody I feel like takes the waves, the ways version now in LA. I feel like so it's like when you do take those back roads, there's oh, still yeah. just many people. I, you're right. It's like I sometimes I feel so guilty. I go through people's neighborhoods and I'm like, oh my god, these poor people are on the ways map, and now their <laughs> street is a fucking parking lot. But I'm a ways girl. I love it. I I I use it as much as I can. I just like that it like you know tries to help you avoid traffic. That's yeah, what we need in Los Angeles. The kindest <laughs> thing it could do right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I've always kind of associated you with this particular Los Angeles music scene. I think I was 14 years old when Crazy For You came out and feel like that was when I first started like hearing about all these cool bands that were in LA, like in my backyard. And what's interesting is that even as I've grown, I've just noticed that there have been a lot of changes and that that kind of scene has definitely dissipated and things have really changed, certainly for the better, for the better, I see. But I would love to hear from you just how you've seen the LA music scene and really that scene that you came up with change and transform over the years. I feel like when, when Best Coast first started, we played mostly at like these DIY venues. Like when it first started, it was just me and Bob playing as a duo. Like we would play at these, our first show was at this place called Echo Curio, which was like an art space in Echo Park. And then we, you know, we played like the smell, which is, you know, I grew up going to the smell. That's like where I, that's where my whole life story with music started. But, um, you know, it felt very much like there was still a super, there was a big connection still to like a DIY scene. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's because I'm just older now and I don't really go out or if it's just there's less DIY spaces in Los Angeles. But I do feel like I don't hear a lot about these sort of thrown together like five band bills at these art galleries that, you know, it's like five dollars to get in. Like, I'm sure that they're still happening, but I just feel like the spaces that we started in and a lot of our peers started in, it feels like they're gone. And I was talking to somebody yesterday in an interview sort of about how Los Angeles is obviously this very like mythical place of, you know, you come here to get famous and you, everybody wants to, you know, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and all this shit. And it's like, there really is so much music, musical history here where it's like, and it's in so many different genres, right? It's like, there's a punk scene. There's like a hair metal scene. There's a cunt, there's like an LA country scene. And it spans these massive generations. And I would say that most of those scenes are still being held up. I think they mm -hmm. just, I think I'm just out of the loop because I'm not cool anymore. <laughs> I know what you mean. I think maybe there's even just too much traffic to get to those places nowadays. Sure. <laughs> I'm like the person that like, I won't go to a show now unless it's seated. Like I literally am like, we have to get seats. We have to get seats. I can't stand I just went to see Blink-182 like a couple of weeks ago. I got my agent helped get me tickets to it. Like the morning of, I decided I wanted to go. And nice. he sent them to me. And when I checked the tickets, it was like general admission floor. And I was like, oh my oh, God, God, I have to stand for an hour and 45 minutes or two hours. How am I going to do this? <laughs> but I fucking like had the time of my life. It, I felt like I was a teenager again, just like bopping around. And I was like, you know what? Some shows it's worth it to stand for two hours. And that was one of them. <laughs> I always feel that way with the Hollywood Bowl too. Like I've gone to shows where I have desperately wanted to not be in a seated 
bowl there and then shows where it's like, yeah, this is appropriate. I should sit yeah. and enjoy this, you know? Yeah. It, I think it is dependent on sort of the, the artist you're seeing or the band you're seeing. But I definitely am like, when I see that a band or an artist I like is coming through like a place where there's seats, I'm like, sign me up. I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Since you have, you know, been around for the last 15 years doing so many different kinds of things, what advice do you have to musicians that are maybe just starting out, bands that are just starting out? That's another tricky one, but <sighs> it's always important. I mean, I think that I sort of, I think now that everything is so dependent on social media. I mean, when I started Best Coast, Twitter had like just, Twitter had just basically just started. Instagram mm -hmm. wasn't a thing yet. Like MySpace was still where it was. Yeah. And I just, I grew up like blogging and having like a live journal and I was very like online as a teen, but I also lived in the world before the internet. And I know what it's like to have a relationship with life where you're not staring at a screen or a computer screen all day long. And I think that there is something now about being an artist that you have to be, you have to have like a personality online and you have to just be promoting and you have to do TikTok and you have to do this and this and this and this. And it's like, I do believe that it is important. I do believe it's part of the job, unfortunately. And some people are really good at it and others aren't. But something that I like, just feel like I really want, particularly young girls, because I wish that I had had this when I was starting, is just like, stay out of the fucking comment section. Don't read what people are saying about you. As exciting as it seems to be getting press and attention, it's like the majority of it will be people supporting you. But when you're young and impressionable and you're just getting started, this people are fucking assholes. And if I, again, if I had had anybody back then telling me like, don't read YouTube comments, don't read Brooklyn Vegan comments, don't even read your own Instagram comments. I really think it would have helped me because I went so deep down into the depths of commentary that it really affected me. And I feel like I, I mentor these young girls in the, the Linda Lindas, like I've been friends with them forever. And I was like mentoring them for a while. And I'm very protective of them when it comes to social media, where I'm like, okay, I'm just want to make sure that like, none of you are reading comments. Right. And they're like, no, we're, they're just like having fun. Like their parents are yeah. moderating the, the, the Instagram, which I'm happy about. But yeah, that's something that I would say is like, just try to protect yourself from criticism because it is a very um addictive thing to just sort of go down the hole of like horrible things that people are saying it's, it's rough out there it can be rough out there absolutely it can be <laughs> so the last question i have for you bethany what has been inspiring you lately i have been reading you know it's funny because as i talk about social media i've had to create a rule with myself where i don't do social media anymore in bed or in the morning and so I've been reading a lot more. I'm like, whoa, I forgot about reading a book in bed. <laughs> and I'm currently reading this book called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, who's the woman that wrote Eat, Pray, Love, LOL. But it's a really amazing book sort of about the idea that to live a creative life, you don't have to actually even be like that. I think a lot of people think that to be successful in creativity or in, you know, a creative practice that you have to have this like massive career, you have to have cash and prizes and all of these things. But really, she talks about creativity in a way 
where it feels like it's like a spiritual process where it's something that like kind of as I was describing before it's like this unexplainable force sort of penetrates you and suddenly you're like I'm inspired to do a thing so I've been sort of like I've really been enjoying the read but I've also really been sort of changing my mindset when it comes to creativity and sort of thinking of it more as like a spiritual practice and just creating to create like sometimes I literally just sit down and like color with colored pencils and like a coloring book or journal or like watch a movie. Cause I think for a long time I was like, if I'm not writing music every day or if I'm not in the studio, I'm not being creative. And it's like, no, li literally taking a walk and noticing the beautiful pink flowers is it's being, it's feeding who you are as a creative human and hopefully inspiring you to do more. So I don't know, just, I've been really into the idea of like, just seeing where creativity can come from if it's not like a tangible thing you know what I mean I basically become a huge hippie and I'm now just like out here talking about God <laughs> quote unquote God yeah no, yeah not the not the Christian God no um, but you know some other kind God as a concept yeah yes. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.